hello friends. This is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Nah. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Guys, thanks, man. You guys are you guys are really good at this. That was oh, uh, I was impressed. So, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the fact that you know you guys are saying I'm an influence, and I'm like, hey, these guys are way fucking better than me. So no way. <laughs> uh, so thanks, thanks, and and keep it up. Welcome to another special episode of Emo Dad Podcast. My name is Matt. My name is James. And we are super pleased to say that we have just been speaking to Shane Told from Silverstein and Lead Singer Syndrome Podcast. We had an awesome chat with him uh, all about his life, um, his life in the band and his amazing podcast. So before we get to that, Please enjoy Smashed Into Pieces by Silverstein. Shane Told from Silverstein, thank you so much for joining us on the Emo Dad podcast. Thank you very much. I have to give you guys a little disclaimer after that, though. I I don't have any children, so I'm I'm not officially an emo dad, just in spirit. That's fine, but you... uh, But us, us emo dads like to listen to to your band and to your podcast. So I think, you know, yes, it, it, it works. It works. Okay, cool. <laughs> just, just letting you guys know in case you want to just kick me off right now. That's, that's yeah, fine. no, we, we, we weren't going to ask you loads of questions about kids. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, so to go on, James. Well, I was just going to say, to be honest, normally we get in trouble for not talking about dad things. So this will be a nice refresh for us. Yeah, oh, exactly. perfect. Exactly. Um, yes. So let, let's. Uh, oh, actually, one thing I wanted to start with. So um, Silverstein were the last band that I saw live in February 2020. Oh, wow. It's wow. Uh, at, at the London show. Um, we were all crammed into a little room, which in hindsight um, seems a bit mad. <laughs> yeah do you, uh, I know. do you remember anything about that show oh yeah i remember it super well i mean you know we started off 2020 with you know it's our 20th anniversary you know we started the yep. band in uh, january of 2000 so this is like right on 20 years we've been doing this and yeah we were booking yeah we were doing two nights there at the, at, uh, the islington academy in london back-to-back nights sold out you know it was, it was super exciting you know, and then we got to do that. We got to play in Europe and then we started our U S tour 10 shows in March 11th. Uh, you know, we, we had to go home. It was, it was, it was really weird. And it's, you know, it's funny now, like in hindsight, we rebooked the tour (laughs) for, I don't know, July, 2020 being like, Oh yeah, we'll be fine. You know, that's like four months. That's plenty of time. And, Here we are still like I we still haven't played a show except 
for the live streams and we did one we did one drive driving show uh, and that's it what was the uh what was the driving show like i've seen um like little videos um on instagram and, and whatever of, of bands over there doing these driving shows i don't think any have happened in the uk but what was that like just playing to a field full of people sitting on their bonnets or you know on their cars <laughs> What's it like? yeah exactly yeah yeah driving I, yeah i feel like driving movies are like the most american thing in the world so yeah maybe it's a little more natural for people to understand what it was but yeah pretty much like they rented out this field um they put up a stage you know kind of like a festival yeah. and they just had everybody drive their cars in and like i think it was you paid you paid per car <laughs> yeah and it was it was pretty cool i mean people just people are creative about it you know people were renting you know u-haul trucks and and sitting in the back of them and in the back you know back of pickup trucks and, yep. and so I, I, there was a couple right in the front row standing out through their sunroof uh, nice. like so they were basically standing right there in front of us they just happened to be in a car so yeah it was a little bit it was a little bit weird i covered drive by car um uh by the beatles on acoustic guitar just to nice. get the the crowd to do the beep 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 yeah with the with the car horns so love it we <laughs> so it was it was it was kind of amazing and the the I'm surprised there hasn't been more of these shows because, you know, obviously like this happened in Canada and it happened in October when the weather was still doable, you know, and then obviously all through the winter, we can't really do that. Yeah. But I'm surprised like I haven't been hearing about shows in the warmer places, like, you know, or driving tours or, or whatever during all this, but I don't know. It's uh, yeah. it was a cool thing. Well, hopefully we'll all be in um, sweaty venues again together very soon. It's, it yeah. looks like it's happening, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, so let's go, uh, let's go back to the start. So um, I believe that Silverstein was a, was a side project to begin with. Is that right? Yeah, man, we, uh, we were kind of like a... I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to say this now, but the kind of music that was being played at that time, you know, like the early early Silverstein stuff yep. it wasn't really like no one was really doing it at least where we were living and you know most bands were you know punk bands or hardcore bands or whatever there weren't really like that many quote-unquote you know emo bands yeah so that's kind of what we wanted to to be and it's kind of for fun honestly and then right as we started this band is it just for fun um you know everyone started to listen to this kind of music and you know i guess we were already listening to it and then a lot of the you know fans and younger people in the scene were like oh you know emo music is cool and um this you know and then basically that just kind of really helped us in the early days but you know it was crazy we would we didn't even know if we were going to play any shows or record anything we were just kind of doing it for fun yeah i was in my last year of high school and you know that the, the fall of 2000, because we started in January of 2000, in the fall of 2000, I knew I was going to university, and, you know, like, and I did, so I, I didn't think the band was going to be anything serious, so it was just for fun, just on the side, we were all in other bands, and then, uh, I don't know, I remember our first show, like, we had a lot of people there, and right out of the gate, people were really excited about the kind of music we were playing, yeah, uh, and, 
got it's just kind of like locally just built and built and we were playing I got to give credit to our drummer Paul for really pushing us like I was in university and he'd be like I know you know you're busy with school but we could play this Saturday you know you know and he would kind (laughs) of twist my arm a little bit to agree to play shows pretty much every weekend even when I was like away in school I wasn't too far away I was only like an hour from Toronto so I was able to you know go back and forth but that's how it started and uh it just kind of grew from there yeah and what and what or what and who were your kind of early influences you, you say you were kind of the first sort of band doing that sort of music uh in your area who were who were influencing you at this time I would say the get up kids were probably the biggest influence in, at the nice. beginning uh and also mineral knapsack yep uh like you know the promise ring any anything that came out on jade tree records um probably it was we we liked and then you know just all that midwest emo genre and you know there weren't really that many bands doing it in our locally i'd say the only one would have been like monine monine had just started uh like a couple years before they were a local band and then there was this other band from Burlington called Grade, yep. who were on Victory Records. And we got a lot of comparisons to Grade because you're from the same city. So at the at the beginning, we were kind of trying not to sound like them, but we inevitably kind of sounded a lot like them because <laughs> we just liked them so much. So uh, that's kind of when our music shifted a little bit away from the like sad, sad emo, mineral style emo to like having elements of metal and hardcore in it yeah sure cool um well there you've just named like a lot of my favorite bands there um and, and we like to when we chat to to people we like to play a a song or a band that that have been one of those influences so uh put you on sure. the spot um yeah out of all those or maybe another band who who would you like to play for our listeners to begin with uh let's go with can i pick a specific song too yeah for sure yeah. man. all right let's go with um mineral and their track gloria so then your your debut happened you recorded your debut when broken is easily fixed and it was huge it was super popular um were you were you ready for that sort of reaction did you expect it how, how did you how did you guys kind of feel at that time oh oh man no we were not ready we were not ready and we didn't expect it and like you know the question that i got asked in those early days and i'd say for the first maybe two three years we were touring the the question i almost got in almost every interview was has it hit you yet you know and i was like i i kind of i knew what they meant i knew what they were asking but no, no, it hadn't hit me yet. And, and I don't think like 20 years later, it still hasn't hit me. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I just kept, we just kept doing it. You know, we kept doing our thing and it got a little bit more, there was a little more pressure on us at times. And, but, you know, it's been a series of, a series of incremental steps, you know, sure. and the, I'd say like, you know, the biggest incremental step was getting signed to victory records back in 2002 you know we and then starting starting to tour in the u.s 
And when that album came out, you know, it didn't do very well of the first week or anything. Like the the first week sales were bad. Oh right. Okay. We yeah, no one no one remembers this. The first week sales were not good and no one knew who we were. Nobody cared. We were out there touring on on tours with whoever would tour with us. We didn't have a proper booking agent. Um, we had this guy out of Houston who was, you know, nice enough guy, just, you know, hoping to make a few bucks off of us because we were on Victory Records. And he was packaging a, us up with a lot of Christian bands and we're not, a, we're not Christians. So we were on yeah. these tours that didn't really make sense. So like, you know, the, the beginning, the beginning of the, when Broken is Easily Fixed, you know, uh, album cycle in 03, it wasn't, wasn't like big at all. We, we didn't get tours with Taking Back Sunday or Thursday or like anybody, nobody took us out. We were packaging up with um, Narcissist and Dead Poetic, who are a great band, oh, okay, yeah. you know, but, but like they, they weren't big, you know, they were as big as we were, or we were bigger. And we're talking about playing not major cities and maybe we'd be lucky if like 30 kids would come. That was the, that was the reality. And we just kept doing it because we didn't really care about that. We didn't care about the big, how big the shows were. We were just having a good time, you know, in the van traveling around, having fun. And I remember it was in, uh, it was Paul's birthday. It was, which is uh, September 9th. So September 9th, 2003, we were at his house. Uh, for his birthday and uh he told us we had gotten a real booking agent okay. uh we were we were touring with they, and they were called Feta booking out of philadelphia and, and they they booked they booked hot water music okay and they used to book jimmy Eat world so we were like Ooh, we're on a we got a booking agent that used to book jimmy Eat world wow you know and um jimmy Eat world was a big big influence early on too but anyway um so, yeah, so that was kind of like felt like when it sort of changed and we'd just been grinding all through 2003, just playing wherever with whoever, never really any proper tours. And then at the beginning of uh, 2004, we got booked to be on the From Autumn to Ashes uh, tour, second of five. Okay. Uh, and wow. that was a big, big one for us because at the point, at that point, like from Iron Ash had had a bus, so that was like whoa, we're on the, we're on like a bus tour, so that was a huge huge change, and I'd say it was around then that we started to notice um, that we were selling a lot of albums. We were selling more albums every week than we did the first week, and the label seemed to be, you know, more engaged with us, and they wanted to make a second video for for uh, Smashing to Pieces and. So we did that. And, you know, there was, there were all these kind of things happening, but like, you know, I'd say it wasn't really until discovering the waterfront that, well, the summer before discovering the waterfront on warp tour. And then, and then, um, and then discovering the waterfront coming out when we really, when we were like, Oh, okay. We're like, people will call us a big band and we won't laugh now because we, we kind of are. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's nuts. I mean, and then thinking about how, like, uh, influential that debut album is now on other bands and you're doing, or, or not the moment, but you were doing the anniversary tours and things like that. Um, that's really interesting to hear that it was a bit of a slow burner to begin with. Um, 
Yeah. Do you with the with the tours? I mean, obviously, you you play a lot of the lot of songs from that album anyway, even when without it being an anniversary tour. But do you still enjoy playing all those uh, all those original songs from the debut? Yeah, man, I do. I do. Uh, you know, some bands they do things like retire yeah. songs or retire yeah. albums. I'm like what the fuck? That's I think it's so stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, it, this is this is your music. This is what all your all, like this is what all your current music is built upon you know Th- yeah. these these songs laid the foundation so if, if you want to turn your backs on it you know you, you go ahead but people are people aren't going to be too stoked and so i i will always play that old stuff um you know we'll we'll change it up we'll play different songs and whatever but yeah it's important for us to to you know I don't know, just show people our roots a little bit and stuff. And I know that there's been people that have been coming to our shows literally since 2003 or earlier. So for them, uh, for them, we like to play some old stuff too. Nice. Nice. So uh, I think we should, uh, we should play a song from, from that album. Um, Do you have a favorite from the album? Uh, From the, from the first album. Well, I'll tell you, we did these redux uh, records where we re-recorded some of them, but, we did it a little bit different for the first Redux album in that we didn't change anything. We just re- we played it again, but we played it the same. We copied it just so it yeah. sounded more more current. So if anybody wants to check out our old stuff, that's a great way to start with Redux. Uh, so I'd say from that, maybe let's go with mm, let's go with Red Light Pledge. Um, so it's 2005 things are kind of starting to pick up and when we've spoken to other people who were in bands around this time they kind of described this 2005 as when things went crazy or when things went Uh nuts if you were in an emo or a post-hardcore band how did how did that feel from the inside were you did you feel like you were a part of that the scene kind of really blowing up uh a little bit so 2000 you know as i said like 2003 not at all 2004 a little <laughs> bit we got you know because we got tours with from on to ashes we got tours with yeah. strike anywhere we were on we were on the warp tour and we made friends with with under oath and uh from first to last you know we were all kind of we were all newer bands you know on our yeah. on our first albums and we were all doing something that was wasn't really didn't really happen in the punk scene yet you know on any sure. on any kind of bigger level so yeah man I, I think like when 2005 rolled around and it's funny i just did a i just did a interview like a three-hour long interview about 2005 so it's really fresh in my mind oh, wow just about uh, 2005 <laughs> literally yesterday yeah wow. just about, pretty much okay. just about 2005 so yeah it was it was weird we started off the year and we we went to the UK for the first time with Under Oath, and we shared a bus with them and another band, twenty one people on an eighteen bunk bus, oh, wow. and we yeah it was a our driver man I we'd never left they'd never left America we'd never left North America you know so mm-hmm. we piled in got got on the airplane we went to we went to the UK our first show was in Cardiff at the Barfly. Yes, um, great. Venue. And, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was cool. I mean, it was really just different for us, you know, just the way everything everything was. And I, I'll say the, the funniest was our driver that drove this this 21 people on an 18 bunk bus. He was called Tricky and he looked exactly <laughs> he looked exactly like Ozzy like exactly awesome. the glasses and, and everything so the first day of the of the tour uh we I was like there you know like we'd played and Under Earth was playing was playing we were we were switching but Under Earth played last that show so I was watching Under Oath and I'm I'm like having a beer a warm beer which wasn't great and I, I remember looking yeah. over and being like, oh, our driver's watching the show. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, wait a second. Our driver's also drinking a beer right now. Like, that's not good. <laughs> and yeah, we ended up, well, we ended up firing him um, too. It got, yeah, it was a weird, it was weird, really weird, weird tour. But that was our first foray, you know, right at the beginning of 05. Um, and then after that, we made the Discovering the Waterfront album uh, right after that. And then we had to kind of wrap up that recording really early because we were going on tour with fallout boy. And wow. at the time fallout boy wasn't big yet. They, they had put out, um, Oh God, I'm so bad with album titles. Um, Take this to your grave. That's the album. Take this to your grave. Okay. They put that out. It was still like underground. Nobody knew they were on a major label yet or anything, but they were popped off. So we were playing pretty big shows with them. We were direct support. It was also with the Academy is and gym class heroes. Nice. Um, nice. All bands that, you know, gym class heroes got super big. Yeah. So yeah, we were on this tour. It was super fun. Um, Fall boy guys were super cool to us. And this one show we, we came in, um, was in Orlando and we came in and I heard this uh, girl, like I it sounded like a girl playing acoustic guitar. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like what's going on? And I kind of popped, peeked my head into the main room that Orlando has the blues. And there was this little young girl, like singing and this guy playing guitar. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't, didn't, you know, wondered why they were there. Like, you know, sometimes you'll see kids waiting outside in line with a guitar sure. or something. I was like, oh, maybe it's like so hot outside that they that they're just letting them in to sit inside or something. I didn't understand. And then I was told, oh, there's a local band opening. They're going to play acoustic and they're called Paramore. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, that's that's different. OK, that's fine. So, you know, what time are we going on? And, you know, and I, I saw them then there and I talked to Haley and she, uh, she was, she must've been, I don't know how old she was in, in 2005, but she, she looked like she was about 15 anyway. Sure. And I said, I just said, Oh, Hey, you know, welcome. And I just try to be nice. And they said, uh, they said they were really nervous, but they were excited and everything. And then like, I got to see them do that on stage, op just opening up probably like, I don't know, 15, 20% of the crowd was there at that point. And uh, she was amazing. And right away I was like, whoa. And then that's, I think, I don't know if the first Paramore album had already been out or, or was coming out, but that was obviously a huge, huge release of 2005. People don't kind of forgot about because it was more of the 
second record in what 2007 that was like really put Paramore on the map. But yeah, man, the, the rumblings were happening. And then 05 Warp Tour, which we were on the whole thing. Um, I remember the first day I ran into my friend Andy Hurley from Fall Boy, the drummer. And we had, we always played poker like every day on tour together. So I went and found him and went on their bus. And he told me that they were going to be number one on TRL, you know, on MTV. And wow. I was like, what the hell? Like that, that still at that point seemed so weird to me. Cause they were still just my, like, sure. They were playing like poppy, like poppy uh, pop punk, but they were still like hardcore kids from Chicago, you know? Sure. And that's, that's how they acted and everything. So it was weird. They even actually, they even showed me the video for sugar. We're going down um, on tour uh, before, like when we were on tour with them before the record came out and they hated it. <laughs> they, they, they wanted to change it. They, I remember them, them thinking the whole, like, it's a rain the guys like dressed like a reindeer right that's the video oh uh, yeah yeah i remember yeah they hated it they were like this is so stupid like but it was kind of like the ship had already sailed so they had to you know the label was like well we gotta we're submitting this to mtv or whatever and then it went to number one on trl so yeah i remember andy telling me that and then we had to get something i think i had some cards or some chips on my bus so we walked from his bus to my bus and we had to walk through the crowd and walking through the crowd with Andy was like walking. It was like walking through the crowd with John Lennon. Right. Like, and it, that's, it wasn't Pete Wentz or Patrick Stump. It was Andy Hurley, but like, that's how much hype there was for Fall Out Boy in the summer of 2005. And we, we it was, I'd never, I've, I'd, up to that point, I'd never walked in a crowd or whatever and had every single person turning their head you know sure. every single person I mean, of course it's warped where they're all there to see fall boy and andy is very recognizable with his orange hair you know but like yeah it was it was a weird time and that's when we saw my chem blow up um i would actually seen my chem while we were recording discovering the waterfront for the taste of chaos tour too so all this stuff yeah like th that was probably the most wild six months um, like in the history of emo uh, or whatever, screamo, whatever era of, or, or um, you know, a phrase, a phase of, uh, of emo, you want to call it. And then, yeah. And then we put out Discovering the Waterfront in August. And that was when it, you know, I don't know how many records we sold that first week. It was like, it was like 27,000 or something. And our first record didn't even do 500. So that was, um, that was really huge. And, and then that's, and then actually, and then that fall was when we went on tour with Hawthorne Heights and Bayside and Aiden. And, uh, that's when sadly, uh, Bayside drummer, uh, John Beats passed away. And that was, that well, was probably the worst day of my life. Hmm. So there's 2005. Sorry. It was a kind of a long, long year, long answer. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Thank you. Um, is there a song that you'd like to play to kind of um, sum up that year for you or a song that you most remember? Can be one of yours, can be one of the other bands you mentioned. Wow, that's tough. The other two <laughs> were easy. This one, <laughs> this one's harder. But um, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, uh, let's play the Silverstein song 
uh, here today, gone tomorrow, tribute to my my old pal, John Beats of Bayside, who passed away uh, Halloween of 2005. And uh, I, I'll always miss him. Okay, so, I mean, obviously, uh, as we've already discussed, you, you guys have been going for, was it 20, 21 years this year or 20 years this year? Um, That's right, 21. 21 years this year. I, I, I've lost track with the whole like lockdown thing. I've kind of lost a year of my life like everyone else. And I yeah, get very confused too, trying to um, work out what the hell's going on with this sort of stuff. Um, but I'm really, I'm really interested to know, how do you keep the, or find the drive to keep producing music? I mean, is it so many albums, different like minor little kind of sound shifts and things like that. What drives you guys to keep going and, uh, and to keep producing music for, as a band for so long? Man, it's a it's a good question. I think to be completely transparent and completely honest with you, we've until this year, we never stopped, man. We yeah. we never never stopped. Not for not for really a minute. We we always had something, you know, on the books. And usually it was something on the books like in a week. Cause I don't know. We, we started out so, so slow and we really felt like we had to sell everyone on our band and convince everyone we were good and really try hard to have people kind of come to our shows and like us. And that mentality just sort of has stayed with us to be quite honest. So, you know, we put out records every two years on the, on the odd year from, from 2003 until 2017 and then we we had to skip a year uh when we put out the record in 2020 but we we never like that that was just a a really really intense you know cycle of writing recording a record putting it out and then touring all the way until we did it again and we have done that nine times so uh yeah man it's it's just kind of what we do. And we never, we never took a break. We never said, okay, like maybe let's just like do nothing for six months. Like, I don't know, just spend time with our loved ones or go on a trip or I don't know, like, like go back to school and learn some shit. I, I don't know. We, that never happened. We just kept doing it. And then it felt weird when we didn't, you know, when we took any breaks, you know, um, remember in 2017 yeah 2017 no 2016 my apologies we were uh, I, I I was going through a real bad breakup and I was well actually I was not supposed to be going through a breakup it was an unexpected breakup before we were going to have our br- longest break ever um, from touring of three months so I get home and find out that she's been stepping out on me and I'm like, Oh great. Well, okay. We're breaking up now. And now I have three months just to sit here. Um, you know, oh, where we weren't tough. doing and where we weren't doing anything with the band. And I was just in shambles with my personal life. And that was like, I was like, God damn it. The first time we, we take a three month break in our his in our history of our career, you know? And then, um, yeah. So that was, Hey, that's what happens when Silverstein takes breaks, no breaks. 
And and what is the um? So obviously you you just kind of know this constant cycle, cycle, cycle. What is the the writing process for the band for the albums? Do you write on the road or do you take time when you do, when you do get home and and spend that time to write? How does that all work? Yeah, we we don't write on the road, um, other than maybe like you've you know you've got a guitar around and maybe a riff will come to you or something. But yeah. in terms of like putting together anything, no, no writing on the road. And then, yeah, usually how it works is we'll say, okay, well, we're going to take, you know, two months or something to, to, uh, to, you know, just kind of spend at home and write some songs. And sometimes some other stuff will come in between. And then, yeah, we just kind of, we just kind of, you know, get our ideas together and we, we put them, we try to record whatever demos we can, we can make. My demos don't sound very good, but Paul Mark <laughs> sound very good. He's very good at recording. And then, yeah, we, we, we just get in the studio and we, uh, and we do our thing. Nice and simple. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it isn't too, it isn't too overly, you know, thought out. We, yeah. we just kind of, you know, I think part of it's always been, we try to make the music and then the music tells us what record to make rather than trying to say, Oh, we want to make this kind of record. And then, trying to do that it, it kind of yeah. doesn't work we find so that's why most of the time our records have been pretty natural naturally progressed from one to another you know it's been i'm like okay you can kind of know what to expect and uh yeah we're we're working on something right now um you know we put out the song bankrupt and we're hopefully gonna have some more coming soon so right now we're in that writing process a little bit and we're gonna see what comes out nice Nice. And I'm really interested to know how you, um, probably mostly on the road, but how you manage your voice with the, the way you, you sing and scream and you play long sets with, you know, quite intense sets. It must take its toll. How, how do you manage that on such long tours? Yeah, good question. I'll tell you the last, whatever it's been, 14, no, 15 months, no, 16 months. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, the last, the time we've been away from touring, my voice feels better than it's ever felt. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And I've talked to some other singers who have said the same thing. You know, this this break for voice health has been really good. You know, just I can sing higher than I ever could before. Studio, like tracking stuff is way easier. And it's, it's crazy. So, yeah, man, maybe I kind of needed this break. But I don't know. I just I just always went out there. Um screened my head off uh tried to sing as well as i could and hopefully had a voice the next day and you know it, it's when we started the band and started doing this the singing screaming thing there had never there hadn't been a, any bands that had done this for a long-term career you know there were some no. sure there were some metal bands and hardcore bands that screamed but in terms of preserving a singing voice alongside screaming your head off nobody had done that before so i didn't i didn't know i thought maybe it's okay after a year and a half i won't be able to sing anymore i don't know so the fact that that didn't happen and my voice seemed to get better uh was was a pleasant surprise because i i didn't didn't think I, and i just assumed i would would have done some some damage to my voice over the years but uh i'm not going to a doctor are you crazy i don't want i don't want to know <laughs> 
I don't want hang, hanging in there. Just keep going while you can. Exactly. Um, and and do you have any kind of uh, strategies you you might want to might not want to give away your secrets? But when you're on no. the road, if you've like yeah. you've got a you have a day where you're like, shit, man, my voice is fuck today <laughs> do you do you have like uh strategies when you're on stage to kind of preserve it a little bit while still performing at such a high level honestly honestly i wish i wish <laughs> i did i don't really know i i have to kind of it's more pre- preventive maintenance with making sure i'm drinking a lot of water and getting enough yeah. sleep so that i'm in decent vocal health and then just having the days off the days off help but no if i wake up and it ha- seems to happen a lot when we're over on that side of the pond. Cause I don't know, you, you're, you're kind of going in, in a uncomfortable way. Like we usually yeah. fly over to the UK and we take, you know, an overnight red eye flight. And we, and I always like, you know, the flight from Toronto to London, it's something like, it's about, it's not that far, like six and a half hours, maybe something like that. I'm always like, can we just, fly the plane around a little longer so I can get some more sleep, you know, because we, we always like land and then we're tired and it's like the morning, but we haven't slept. And it's like, Oh, you know, trying to stay up all, all day so that you're, you can try to go to bed at like a normal time. So it's always like you come in to the tour at a disadvantage for your vocal health right off the bat going over overseas so I'd say that most of the times I've struggled have been over there and back in the day when like there was like smoking in clubs that I hated that. Oh uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, just, yeah, man, it's, it, it can be tough. And I've had definitely have had shows where I probably shouldn't have sang cause I was not good, but you know, the show must go on and most people, appreciate that you're there or and a lot of people don't notice even when i seem to have a bad show so you know i'm not i'm not too big for it i just you know do my best and forget the rest for sure for sure and are there any um there any any songs that you regularly play um as a band which are particularly hard to sing live like where you kind of you're chatting about the set list or however it works for you guys and you think shit i'm not sure if i can uh i can hit that one today (laughs) uh yeah there there are you know and i think we've tended to push i've tended to push my voice higher and higher as the years have gone on which is probably a bad idea for trying to pull them off live so some stuff is like right at the top of my range you know like a song like ghost for example is a pretty hard one yeah so um yeah that that's that's a song that that can be tough to get up there and you know but I don't know. I find like once, even, even if I have no voice 10 minutes before and I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'm well, I guess I'll do my best. Then once, once I get up on stage, I'm just like, what the fuck's up London? And it's like, it comes out all clean and, and perfect. And I'm like, okay. Like, and I guess that's maybe you can chalk that up to adrenaline or whatever, you know, uh, Jesus, I, I think it's Jesus. Uh, <laughs> No, I, but whatever it is, it it uh, it sometimes it just kind of works. Yeah, sure. Well, let's uh, let's play another song. What's uh, let's go with what's your what's your favorite song to play live? Ooh. If you have one, put Ooh, you on the spot. another another one. Well, you know what? I do like playing this song live, and it's a banger. And we just talked about it, so let's play Ghost, and people can hear that 
very high note that I enter the song on, which can be what can be a bit tough to get to some nights. Amazing. Let's uh, enjoy Ghost by Silverstein. Oh, Matt and I doing the doing the eye thing where we're not sure who's supposed to be talking now. <laughs> Go on, James. Go on, James. He's asking me. Okay, so we'd love to talk about your podcast. Um, yeah. Because obviously it was a huge influence, to be honest, on us starting to oh, come out and give it a go. Oh, um, so we're very excited to be talking to one of our heroes today, for sure. Oh, um, in more ways than one. Nice. Um, so what was the, how did it start? Well, uh, I had this, this name, Lead Singer Syndrome, which I thought would right. be hilarious. And um, <laughs> for, for uh, you know, a satirical name for for something where I talk to other lead singers. So I had this idea because a lot of interviews I had done had been just to be to be blunt, uh, fucking horrible and oh, annoying boy. and just the same questions and like oh my god. So you know, like a waste of time. That's how I felt sometimes. And because I, you know, we're talking right now. I'm I'm pretty forthright. And I like to tell people my story. And it was like, I was like not given an opportunity to do that because the questions I was asked were so bad. So I would, I would started thinking to myself, well, if I were to ask me a question, I would ask what this, or, you know, and I would, I would read other interviews with other singers or, or listen to, to interviews and be like, why wouldn't you ask them this or this or this? Yeah. And so then I got an opportunity through a magazine uh, it was I think we were I don't remember if we were touring together or what it was but I was going to interview Buddy from Census Fail and he was going to interview me so we so we interviewed each other and he said oh dude this is great you asked such good questions like I, I really enjoyed it and I was like oh that's cool and then that's kind of where I started to, to think about well maybe I could do this so Warp Tour 2015 I I don't remember exactly how, but I, I, somebody got in touch or, or they were doing uh, the, 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 they were the producer for the bad Christian podcast, which is the one that the Emory guys do. Right. And, and I kind of told him my idea and he thought it sounded good, but I don't know if he thought I had the interview chops or whatever. So I did a, I did a, like a practice podcast interview with okay. Caleb Shomo with Caleb Shomo from Beartooth. So I, we recorded it on Warp Tour. I bought like a couple decent mics and a recorder and we did it, you know, on the, on the bus. And I, you know, I did recorded like an intro of what I thought. And the producer was like, dude, this is amazing. Like, you're really good at this. I was like, okay, I don't know. And right off the bat, he, <laughs> they, they, uh, yeah, they, they signed, signed me to their podcast, you know, net, network. Wow. And I just was like, okay, let's go. And I just started doing podcasts and, and just with my friends at first. And then I started asking people and started getting, getting some, you know, bigger names and stuff. And just, that was six, almost six, five and a half years ago. And I've been doing it every week, putting out an episode every week since. It's um yeah, it's incredible. We we think we've we think Wikipedia thinks you've done two hundred and fifty interviews. Yeah, more than that now. Yeah, more That's, than that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's crazy, man. Like, would have never thought, especially especially like so many podcasts. 
even good podcasts, a lot of them start and then people just lose interest or they fall apart or whatever. And that's more my personality to do something and not fall through with it. Although maybe okay. not if you look at my band Silverstein, we've, we've, we've kept on. So maybe, maybe when I do, maybe when I do focus on something, I do do it pretty, pretty well. I don't know. Uh, I'm just psychoanalyzing myself in the middle of an interview. Uh, I'll be right. I'll be right here. If you need to <laughs> keep going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, I just kind of kept doing it and enjoying it and making so many friends, you know, with like just tons of people. I've never, like I talked to Jacoby from Papa Roach a few weeks back. Uh-huh. I never talked to that guy before. That guy was awesome. That guy is <laughs> such a cool dude. Like I would have never, probably never have talked to him before if it wasn't for the podcast. So there's just things like that happen. And this is just been a, a lot of fun. And definitely over the last year and a bit with the COVID, having, having that to be able to do and focus on has been really a, really a big blessing, I guess. So that I, you know, I've had something to do and not just probably I would be here freaking out if I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause I wondered if it, if, if it would help you with that downtime that you said was difficult earlier. Yeah. That other goal. It, it, yeah. It, it, it kind of did. Yeah. At that point, I remember I, when I went, went through that whole situation in 2016 and, I was staying at my buddy's house and uh, <laughs> and I had to do a podcast like in his guest room on my recorder. <laughs> I remember that was, that was a dark moment. And I remember the podcast guest was so fucking boring. I, that was a bad, one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst episodes I ever did too. And probably part of it was me looking back, but uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it was, it did end up helping knowing that that I had something else and and uh yeah it's been it's been fun overall do you find it easier to to sort of because I get the impression when I listen that you know some, some of the guests you obviously have a lot of history with and you're close with and they're genuine friends and some people like you say are people you've met for the first time do you find it easier to talk to your friends or or people you don't know or is it not applicable I find I find I'm the best when I interview a band I don't really know anything about until I start doing research. Okay. So I don't have, like, if I'm interviewing, if I'm interviewing a friend, that's cool. I probably sometimes go a little too far on the inside joke story side of things. If I'm interviewing someone I'm a huge fan of, then sometimes I might go to a little too fanboy on them. Or I might ask the really random seeming questions about specific things because I already know everything there is to know about the band. Right. So I'm not going to, you know, so it's the, it's the artists that I'm like, okay, I've like heard the name. I know what like the gist of it, but I'm going to spend a couple hours listening to the records, reading other interviews, you know, just like really, really just going diving deep into this artist and I find when I do that, I'm not nervous when I talk to them. They don't know me. I don't know them. And it's just a really great transparent uh, conversation. And some of those have been, have been incredible interviews. So, you know, but, it, but it's, I've had good and bad experiences with everybody. And I think, I think I'm proud of the fact that out of probably 275 episodes or whatever it's been, I think there's like three that I would say kind of suck. So okay. that's pretty good. That's a pretty good percentage. 
yeah. and it's a really good percentage. We won't, we won't ask what, which ones they are. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd say one of them is just because the audio was 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 bad. So, oh yeah, we can apologize to our listeners for our recent audio, which we have now fixed. <laughs> so we should <laughs> well, be I'll, good from now on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, a, I'll tell you a quick story about a bad one I did, and I won't name names, but I will say this. I got hit up by the the company in the early days about the uh, that I was on the podcast network, and they wanted me to do this metal metal band artist who I hadn't heard of, and I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this one, but they said, oh, you, you know, you should do this guy. He's he's really getting popular or whatever. So I said, okay. So I called him up, and he was just giving me like one word answers, like just kind of stonewalling me, like the kinds of things like. No, so what was your upbringing like? You know, do you have brothers or sisters? And his answer would be like, I have one sister <laughs> and then nothing else. I was like, oh, okay. Like I had to really, it was like pulling teeth. So I'm like 20 minutes into this interview thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm going to get to 35, 40 minutes. I somehow got there. I hung up the phone. It was like, oh my God, I really don't want to put out this, put out this podcast. What am I going to do? And I go to turn off my recorder and I had never hit record, oh, <laughs> which, which normally would be a disaster in any other situation. But in this one, I was like, wow, there's, there's Jesus again, there's a uh, saving the day on that one. I like, like it was so weird. I don't know how, why I didn't hit record, but I didn't. And that was just lost forever. And probably for the best, because that's the worst one I ever did. <laughs> Um, on the flip side, are there any that you think were particularly that you're particularly fond of for any reason? Oh, it's tough, man. I can I, I don't have a really great long memory for them. I'd say, sure. I'd say pretty much all of them I feel pretty good about. I'd say like the one with Jacoby from Papa Roach is pretty good. There's a funny moment in that one when we get to the end and he didn't know I was in Silverstein. And at the end, he's like wait, wait, what? You're in Silverstein? He's like, oh, you guys are, you guys are dope. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that was, that was a recent one. And I really liked when I, I talked to the bass player for less than Jake Roger, who, right, you know, yeah. he's kind of not, he's not like, he's not the main lead singer. Like he doesn't stand in the middle, but he's, you know, he does sing. Sure. And that was a great, great interview that that a lot of people hit me up after and was like wow i've never heard roger do an interview like that before and they've been a band for like 30 years so that was a really really good one and oh man i mean the ones i've done with with fat mike for no effects are special and oh i don't know i i really do feel feel good about almost all of them so it's um yeah man it's hard to it's hard to pick a favorite no, but that's cool. It's great that, to be so proud of something. I think that's amazing. Um, do you, So we've got a really self-centered question. <laughs> do you have any tips for if you were starting out now, is there anything you'd do differently when, um, with a podcast? Like, not really, because I, I've kind of, I've kind of just learned as I've went uh -huh. And I tried to make the best choices as I went along. And obviously like podcasting has changed so much in the five and a half years. When I started, most people didn't know, had no idea what a podcast was. 
like literally oh, and really even if they knew what it was they had never listened to one or they didn't know how but some people didn't get it they just didn't get it at all what it was so um it was harder and now you know then everyone now everyone knows and if you've got an iphone you've got the podcast app right on your phone and now people are using spotify to listen to them you know it's really changed so yeah i've just tried to kind of roll with the punches you know throughout it and and i don't think there's really really anything i would have done differently i think the one thing i did that was smart was right off the top i bought some pretty good microphones and some pretty like a pretty good recorder to be able to capture stuff pretty well uh-huh. um and now I ha- I now have those, you know, those raw recordings that are pretty good forever, uh, you know, which is important. So other than that, I, I don't know, man, I just, just really, I don't really know what advice I can give other than that. Just, just make sure you have some pretty good equipment and you are trying to do your best with the quality and the audio side of things. Oh, thank yeah. you. That's uh, that's as James said earlier, that's what we found. Our, our podcast started out with immaculate audio. And then it, it slowly got worse and worse. And then we managed to fix it. So we're back to immaculate again. <laughs> well, it's good. You um, know, you know one, guy, one tip for you guys, if we can, if this is on or off the record, whatever, a really great thing to do would be to have me, like, let's say right now, a- ask me to record my own audio and send it to you. Yeah. That way you don't have anything, you know, digitally through the, the phone or whatever. Um, uh, yeah. I would have been happy to do it, but you didn't ask, so I didn't do it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you didn't press record again, Shane. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, just to kind of finish up. Let's go back to to Silverstein. So, I mean, you dropped a new single not not long ago, "Bankrupt," and it is huge, um, and we love it. What it feels it feels like Thanks. a bit of a new new direction. Would that would that be fair to say? How are you guys? Yeah, about I'd say it? I would say so. You know, we do the subject matter of the song. We've we've kind of touched on this stuff before with kind of like, you know, talking about how kind of fucked up the world is with how, you know, we're all at a disadvantage to, you know, financially to the billionaires and the corporations that kind of run everything you know, that style of, of conversation, we've touched on it, but to kind of really put a whole song out there about it and be so aggressive is a little, is a little bit outside of what we've done before. So that was, that was kind of different and a little bit special for us. And then just the really aggressive nature of the song too. The uh, that just that riff that like, that's just, that's just a monster, monster heavy riff. So, I mean, you know, I think it all stems from just the anger and frustration we've all felt over the past year. And we felt like, okay, what are we going to put out? Like, a, oh, it's summertime. Let's put out a happy <laughs> summer song. You know, that, that didn't really fit the bill of what we have experienced or what we assume the majority of the world has experienced this past year. So, yeah. So when we started to put the demos together and talk about what we're going to do. This seemed like the logical first step in, in the song we were going to put together. And yeah, it's been, people have really latched onto it. And, you know, I think that, that it's cool when you can unlock kind of a new, a little bit of a new sound um, this late in. 
yeah for sure i mean as i said we love it and it it sounds massive i can i can see that going down well at a festival or a stadium show or you know a big arena <laughs> or something um so yeah look forward to to seeing that one live um and what's next for the band you mentioned you, you guys are writing and um is there any dates or plans for when the next album might drop we're not sure about that we all we really have on the books right now is hopefully november we'll be on tour in america and canada that's um that's kind of all we know for sure right now and things are looking up you know uh yeah. in the states and stuff they're pretty much there's pretty much already bands playing shows so uh yeah we should be good for november and then probably sometime next year we'll be we'll have some new music maybe sooner but you know you uh you can't you can't rush the broth you know <laughs> uh, or whatever that expression is so we uh we're we're working on it nice nice well look forward to hearing some new tunes when they're ready and as i as i already said for for seeing you guys live we had tickets for the um for the little show you guys were playing at the new cross in um the little uh little like club you guys were going to play in london and we were gutted that that didn't mm. happen so maybe maybe soon maybe when you can get over um that'll happen we'll look forward to that absolutely we we, we miss it so much it's been it's been real hard and yeah, it's going to be absolutely crazy once, you know, that opens up again. People are going to be very, very excited to see their favorite bands. Yeah, so we're sure. just looking forward to that part. Yeah, can't wait. Um, listen, we would like to really thank you for taking your time to talk to us. Um, we really appreciate it. You're taking time out of your day. Um, and I think it would be smart to finish up with the new single. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this is Bankrupt by Silverstein. <laughs> 